this series, we will be discussing specific examples of design techniques that can make a positive difference for people living with certain human conditions. The more a designer understands the client and or the community, the more effective and respectful the design will be. More and more, studies are showing how better sleep cycles can aid in recovery and disruptive patterns can lead to long-term health issues. We recently had an opportunity to sit down with Catherine Liskowat to understand the connection between circadian cycles, health, and lighting design. Before we get into that discussion, let me tell you a little bit about Catherine and her qualifications. Catherine Leskowat is a lighting designer with Lamb Partners in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where she also serves as chair of the Science Lab. She currently teaches lighting design for architecture at the Boston Architectural College, or BAC. Catherine has been active in the International Association of Lighting Designers since before graduating from the University of Oklahoma in 2013 with a bachelor's in interior design. And she serves on the Illuminating Engineering Society's Progress Report Committee. In today's discussion, we explore the impact that circadian cycles have on our health and how lighting design and materials can be used to improve it. Welcome to Inclusive Designers Podcast. My guest today, Catherine Leskowat. Yes. Yes! I pronounced that correctly. I'm very excited. You can introduce me any day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Catherine, for coming today and participating in Inclusive Designers My Podcast. Pleasure. Start off this program today and tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you got into lighting. Sure. Okay. Um, I am a an architectural lighting designer here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Um, I would say for anyone interested in lighting, the bug is going to bite you so fast. I, I think that um, lighting is lighting is for people who love design and I actually studied interior design just to get into lighting um, my favorite people in the world are architects and interior designers they inspire me so much and so I wanted to do something that showed off their work and um, kind of completed the puzzle I did not realize that that's actually really terrific so Catherine you work at Lamb Partners in Cambridge, Massachusetts, just mm -hmm. across the Charles from here. Can you tell me a little bit about, like, what is it that you actually do and how you go about your day? And You want to hear the elevator pitch. That would be great. <laughs> I love hearing this question from everyone because lighting design is still a pretty niche field and most people don't have any idea what a lighting designer would do. And I think about how light affects your perception of space, how it affects um, your performance at a task, and even your wellness overall. Um, and I work from concept through to um, specification and um, reviewing of the site after everything has been installed and is hopefully working. <laughs> I am a consultant to architects. I work really closely with electrical engineers, contractors, um, architects, interior designers. Right. That's interesting. 
Because you don't work in a vacuum. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, no. Right. right. No. You always work with other architects well, and other planners. The and name of your podcast says to me. I'm right. not sure if that is exactly what you meant it to communicate, but that's what it says to me is right. you're thinking about involving all the voices in design and really getting those collaborators to work together on a much more fundamental basis than we normally do. Thank you for getting that. Okay, good. <laughs> I, I wasn't quite sure. but Right. Um, inclusive uh, designers has a sort of a double entendre because it's not. I mean, it is about inclusivity, but it's really also about inclusivity with other designers and sharing the information. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. So, right. And for you in particular, I mean... No matter where you go, you got to have some sort of light. Like you said, you got to go and illuminate the the work that the designers do. Yes, yes, yeah. So I I have my dream job. I get to work with really smart and creative big picture thinkers um, that make things every day that affect people's health and wellness and productivity and all good things. So one of the things where I'm having you here today is is we want to talk about health and wellness in terms of lighting and design and 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 I think the the way to start this particular program is to perhaps talk a little bit about their circadian system. Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about that and what is it and and why is it so important? Sure, sure. I think it's a a bit of a leap from um, architectural lighting to health and wellness. So we want to kind of step through that. Um, we know that light is not just visual. So the light that let us see the red ball and the puppy and the green grass um, is is doing one thing, but we also have another photoreceptor in the back of our retina that's catching light um, before it gets to the imaging center. And it heads directly to the brain, and we've been researching that since about 2012. We got some really good data on the fact that light also entrains our brain to a 24-hour cycle. And, and that's their circadian system. Yes, exactly. So if we have proper light exposure, then we keep um, our master clock, as it were, like the atomic clock of our body, um, on time and running all the other rhythms of our body healthfully. And that in turn is connected to um, your mental health, your um, physical activity. Um, it even down the road has been connected to your odds of getting cancer and a lot of other illnesses. So it's connected to your immune system and your mental health, which is connected to everything. Right. So we're the right amount of light comes from the fact that without light, we actually fall into a longer than 24-hour day. So if you're on the moon or in a submarine without access to the sun, then you're going to fall out of sync. You'll, mm -hmm. be, you'll have a little bit longer day. You'll start going to bed later and then having a really hard time waking up. Um, need two cups of coffee, three cups of coffee instead of just one, and that'll keep exacerbating itself and lead to health problems. There's another factor that we have to be aware of um, in this equation. Not only are we um, interested in light health, but the light health in turn impacts our um, 
sleep quality. And it's the sleep quality that really regulates our hormone levels and our immune system and in turn leads to all of those um, mental and physical wellness issues that we're becoming more and more aware of. But isn't healthy lighting just really just better daylight exposure? I I love that question. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a great question to consider as architects and interior designers and lighting designers and wellness designers of all trades. Daylight is the the original healthy lighting. Right. And I think that education of the users and Access to daylighting is still my primary passion in solving for healthy lighting. So wherever possible, we absolutely want to use daylight and um, daily habits of your users to regulate a healthy circadian system. Where that is not practical, say for your submarine dwellers or your... (laughs) um, Night, night shift workers, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, or in buildings that really don't have enough access to daylight. We want to provide full spectrum lighting systems that are a little bit higher output than we've historically been using in order to provide a stimulus that is significant enough during your morning, especially, and early afternoon hours, so your circadian morning, even if that's not the sunrise. Why is that important? Why why is it the morning and the early afternoon? What makes those two times of the day particularly special for this the circadian system? It, it gets really nerdy because it has to do with <laughs> Um, supporting your melatonin production and secretion. So you don't want to suppress melatonin in the evening. We want to Promote withdraw it. light exposure, especially from in the blue spectrum, so that melatonin can be produced and um, expressed in your body. But in the morning, we want to wake you up and suppress melatonin so that it's saved for the evening as it were. And that is the blue lighting we hear about, right? That's the yes. blue the color blue is very important whereas amber is more important later in the evening. Am I understanding that correctly? Sure. So it is or is it really am I simplifying around it? a particular no, it's a good way to for people to relate to it for sure. I think the word blue can be a little bit deceiving because not all light that looks blue is scary and awful for you. <laughs> um, your indicator light on the alarm clock or the TV is probably not going to hurt you at all. So we try to, when we're providing um, a circadian stimulus, we want to accent that part of the spectrum. And then when we want to allow you to calm down at night and not have that stimulus, you draw out all of the blue together. Um, and yes, we would want to stay in more the amber. So the color of light looks isn't always true to its spectrum, but most likely your brighter and your bluer sources are the ones we want to avoid. So your um, night shift app on your iPhone mm-hmm. or the Android equivalent right. is actually 
doing just that for you. It's filtering out the high end of the spectrum and it is dimming down the light level because both of those are factors, the intensity and the color. So the visible light spectrum kind of starts, well, it starts at around 400 nanometers, which would be the color violet. And just beyond that outside the visible spectrum is infrared light, which we cannot see. And that's the threshold there is this violet that is actually really super engaging to look at because it's right at the visible light spectrum. And then we max out at about 700 nanometers, and that is our reds. So in between every color, every nuance of color has its own um, 420, 430, 450 nanometer value along the visible light spectrum. So I want to see a, a nice little graph that has a curve along every um, nanometer value. And hopefully that's not up and down a lot um, with maybe a lot of this blue, but none of that blue and a lot of this green and none of that green. But I want to see a pretty smooth curve. Um, and for circadian stimulus, I want to see it, it going up in the 490 range, which is the non visual response peaks there. Now is that particularly in the morning is that because that would be right part of the circadian system it would be more advantageous to have the the bigger blues mm-hmm. um, in the morning and then the, the more of the ambers you know in the less evening. Less of the blue right, evening. Less of the blue. Exactly. Right, exactly. Right. Exactly. See you're a pro. you're a good teacher (laughs) i appreciate you being here Uh, i love it i'll do it all day long okay that would be great i do in fact (laughs) (laughs) okay making sure we understand we're going through this process together thank you Catherine. all right so to kind of keep moving forward so how do we make sure we're applying light strategies in a helpful way and not continuing to create health issues within the um and in, in, in built environment i mean i know that um you know one of the projects that you and i worked on they had a fan that would turn on and the if they were going to the bathroom in the middle of the night and it was this high fluorescent light and we recognized that this was very problematic for people trying to go back to bed after having gone to the bathroom before they or you know in the middle of the night and because the 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 blue light right? You know, was turning on and and that was stimulating their brain. Is that correct? Sure. In that project, we had two huge factors working against us, both the auditory cacophony and and the light exposure. Uh, Yeah. When they turned on the light, the fan, the overhead fan went on as well. So it it was a a double whammy. You're awake for sure. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I think the short answer is that... um, it's more important that we do act than that we um, be afraid of misapplying these strategies. Um, anything, any work we do to um, put in place these principles that we've talked about, you know, withdrawing the blue spectrum in the evenings, um, providing extra stimulus, intensity, and um blue spectrum in the circadian morning, both of those things are going to improve our average users um, 
entrainment is the term that we use for a healthy circadian system. Right. Um, so if we can take small steps by boosting light levels and in some instances using a spectral tuning system that allows us to take the blue in and out of the same light source mm. um, and ultimately encouraging our users to gain a little understanding about their own um, circadian system and how they should manage that beyond their say office space exposure right all those things are just going to do good in the long run right can we as designers design for people in home in their homes or how can people just who are listening who might be interested in in trying to help their own circadian system within their own home do you have any any suggestions on that yeah this is actually my passion i think that this is the way we solve this problem is by teaching everyone how to do it for themselves um i focus on the workplace simply because so much of our population (laughs) spends it is also my job it is it is your your job but you're right but we spend more and more time time in the office right exactly but um, each of us actually have a little bit different natural day. So it's important to know, am I having trouble waking up? Am I having trouble going to sleep? Am I getting um, enough sleep? What is that sleep like? And I think eventually that will be a part of our fitness trackers. I think our light exposure will become hmm. something we track as well because it's not a quick fix. It's something that actually improves your health with the longer history of healthy entrainment. Right. Um, so for most of us, we lean on the longer day side and the easy healthy maintenance for us to do is make sure we get a minimum of 20 minutes and better two hours. 20 minutes of blue? Of, of daylight. daylight. That's your easiest way to get it. Okay. Um, there are, of course, some desktop luminaires that you can also get that are right. um, actually for SAD, seasonal affective disorder. Yeah, but we also live in New England. I mean, mm. but it's overcast mm. too. And um, and that can be, you know, that can affect people's moods. And, and I think that that's partially because it's the lack of sun. There's actually a cap for our sensitivity to light. So there's a point at which the intensity no longer matters. And that's relatively low threshold when you think about daylight, because daylight can get really intense. Intense too, right? Yes, yes. In the hundreds of thousands of foot candles for illuminance. Um, So even on a cloudy day, you're still getting almost the maximum level that you're photosensitive, you're um, circadian sensitive to. So it has a more of a mental impact, I think, than it's having a physiological impact those rainy days. Um, but your two hours in the morning or 20 minutes, if that's all you can handle, um, sometimes that's a commute. If you're commuting in your car to work, then you're, you're facing the cloud canopy or the sky glow, and that's a great delivery of the illuminance that you're looking for. Um, or if you can walk to work, that's also an excellent way to get it. Right. Um, or meditate with your eyes open, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, your eyes 
Your eyelids actually filter out the blue? Huh. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So when you talk about 20 minutes, though, you're talking about direct sun exposure. And if you can't get it from actual activity from outside, uh, right, and you're talking about luminaries that can be on, I've seen them, you said for the, for SAD, the seasonal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. affective disorder. Um, And so that's one component that we can do. What about, what about like helping us to go to bed at night? What, What would you recommend for that? So your morning two hours or 20 minutes, whatever you can get, is going to help you peak melatonin in the evening at the right time so that your sleepiness and melatonin are coming together for you to really be able to go to sleep when you need to. But the second thing that you have to watch out for is um, your slowing down rituals. So two hours minimum before you go to bed um, better three to four, um, enabling something like the night shift app on your phone so that you're not getting too much illuminance from that, um, and slowing down on some of your social and physical activities, even not eating too close to bedtime. All of these are zeitgeipers. They all influence our, um, circadian system. It's just that light is such a a huge factor that's the one we can control um but it's helpful to take all of these into account so you you start withdrawing your light and you start um maybe getting off of social media and maybe you you don't work out right before bed and all these things will help in addition to your morning exposure for you to be at the perfect spot to fall to sleep and stay asleep right. for a good chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you talk also a little bit about what you as a lighting designer would do within the um, built environment of say like an office? Like what can we do to promote healthy lighting within the offices as you pointed out? I mean, we spend so much of our day there. Yeah, yeah. Um, A lot of what we're doing is actually utilizing daylighting and really seeking to educate our user population. So encouraging habits like taking a break and going outside, um, having a common space with really great access to daylight. So we want to, with the electric lighting system, provide a base level of a full spectrum and relatively high illuminance without any glare. We want to still be careful with glare and contrast issues. Um, But ultimately, I think that we solve these with um, getting people up out of their desks and outside for a little bit and providing common spaces everybody's going to go to where they'll really get that boost of daylight access. Daylight that they need. Yeah. So Catherine, you told me just recently a little bit about a showcase uh, room that, or showcase store, right, mm-hmm. that you did mm-hmm. recently here in Boston with the company Lamp Partners, which is the company you work for. Can you tell us a little bit about the project? How did it come to be and what were the design issues 
within the circadian lighting and the lighting of the actual showroom itself. Sure, sure. Um, yes, that was a fascinating challenge from a wellness and just ergonomic standpoint. Um, an existing showroom he- here in Boston um, had not renovated the lighting system in quite a while. So lots of daylighting, some contrast issues because of that daylighting where the architectural lighting was um, underwhelming and causing some spaces to feel dark in contrast um, and not the amount of flexibility that they really need in a showroom. Um, We would go through, you know, an initial collaboration with the client and the whole design team and talk about what it means to pursue well and how much that involves lighting. And for for our listeners that don't know, can you explain sure, a little bit about yes. Well? Yes, thanks for asking. Um, well is a benchmarking system, kind of like LEED, um, and used in mostly in commercial architecture, focused on health and wellness as opposed to sustainability like lead is Um, so encompassing all three of those things but Mm -hmm. really putting the user's comfort and health and wellness first and there's a bunch of different markers on well w-e-l-l and facets right but one of them is definitely lighting Yes, yes. Um, lighting is actually a huge component of wealth. So, and it can be complicated to navigate as a designer trying to um, calculate all of those goals. But and especially within an existing building, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, where you don't always have great um, documentation existing, and mm. it's all about those materials and finishes, the translucency of your glass and um, the finishes of the space. So, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. There were, there are two regular occupants um, in the showroom and then the rest are visitors um, throughout the day. So we had uh, a unique challenge of kind of following these occupants as they stationed in different desks throughout the space, um, it being a furniture showroom. Um, So not just one fixed perspective had to be considered all of the possible perspectives of those few regular users. So we ended up um, going with a cooler color temperature than they had previously that kind of um, worked with their daylight exposure much better um, and brightened up the whole space a little bit. So even though there were so few regular occupants, we had to consider all of the places that they might be in and calculate their uh, circadian stimulus from all of those angles. And always starting with daylighting. And in that case, we could actually achieve everything we were after with daylighting yeah well we're gonna do a little something a little different we're gonna try to mix it up a little bit and we talk about having an an inclusive designers podcast be a um, a helpful resource for other designers to come up with their own designs and um, one of the threads that seems to be kind of keep going through is is that evidence-based design for designing is is still kind of new and uh, we're still kind of working out those kinks so uh, one last question 
Is there enough research, speaking of which, <laughs> to start implementing these solutions just yet? Yes, I believe there is. Definitely to start. Um, there is a lot of research. Um, there's a very interesting conversation recently in the lighting design community about whether that research meets all the levels of, say, an, an FDA approval. Um, so there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. There's a lot of really great research that's been done out of Harvard and out of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, both amazing programs who are on the leading edge of that. Um, so we do have a lot of feedback about a um, mindful system really producing, um, improving health and productivity and user satisfaction. But the only thing we should be careful about in the meantime as we start applying these is promising those benefits. Because while the research is there, um, I am not a medical professional, so I cannot um, guarantee you those results. Right. I know that we can't make any claims directly that, hey, put this lighting in your space and right. put you're going to never get cancer. Right. Because I am not a, a doctor, I'm not a healthcare professional, but we have seen a lot of correlations and there is a lot of research out there that we can help improve not just your wellness and your mood, but um, also your health in the long run by having um, access to healthy lighting. Right. But we have seen those correlations and there is enough knowledge in our user populations where they are already asking. And this is something they're interested in. They know the benefit to themselves. So there's enough research to keep moving. Um, just be careful about what we promise. We're promising, right? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I mean, there, like you said, there's been all sorts of research. There's, um, uh, but a lot of it seems to be the 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 aftermath that they look at is anecdotal. Like there yes. doesn't seem to be very. There doesn't seem to be a lot of concrete evidence that da that data shows. Like there's a co direct correlation. I think it. It seems pretty obvious, I think, that it <laughs> yes. should be. And I think, you know, because maybe of the advent of electricity, we have had some real departure and has, you know, the electricity has given us a lot of benefits and, and helped us to live longer. But I think it's also been problematic in terms of how we conduct our lives. And I mean, I know I can stay up pretty late and watch television and uh, everything gets a little wonky for, for, for a while. But I find that that all of that is just kind of just a kind of interesting. There's um, the studies that came out of um, Oh, I want to say like there's a town in Japan and I think someplace in Helsinki, both who have taken their blue lights and their street lights and changed them into some sort of amber lighting, some sort of, I can't, I, you could probably Back want to, to speak. Back to high pressure it. sodium. Oh, <laughs> 
No. no is it's that a, a lighting really, joke? I don't know. It is a lighting <laughs> joke. I am such a nerd. I know. There, it would be back to the sources we were using before, right. um, which were very yellow. They, if you have, my car has a red and blue dial that tells me the temperature. Right. And in a couple of our tunnels around here, that dial looks like two colors of gray. It's because mm. it's high pressure sodium. It's got only warm light and um, so specific of a spectrum that it doesn't even hit the reds. Mm. So you can't see red. You can't see blue. It's a very narrow in um, the spectral power distribution. It looked like a needle. It's right up right. and down on that specific nanometer. Um, so it's great for nighttime lighting to not um, stimulate your circadian system, but it's not very efficient. Um, so I think we've gained a lot of efficiency and it looks so nice and bright and clean with the really blue LED street lights, um, but we didn't need that much light and it's possibly keeping us up later at night. Catherine. Yes. Before I let you go, are there any other specific examples you would like to give the listener about healthy lighting and what you would do as a designer to to create healthy lighting for for people? Sure, yes. A couple of things come to mind. Um, not just improving, I think, improved light levels and full spectrum sources, especially in healthcare, is, is very important to have that full morning of light exposure, which helps to bring them back to a 24 hour daytime. Um, it's, that has actually many evidences to improving um, recovery times. So if your room does not have access to daylight, absolutely, we want to provide a system that's capable of mimicking the daylight effect on your circadian system. And then we need to go a little step further and actually think about finishes. If I have a red wall, I'm not reflecting any blue light off that red wall. It was absorbed. I'm only reflecting the red light, the okay. red spectrum. So that choice of color of wall is influencing the efficiency of, of, the, the, color, of the lighting. Yes, right, right, and right. not just from a illuminant standpoint. I can still read just fine under it. It just has much less of an impact on my non-visual system. Hmm. So moving a little bit further into finishes and for the office environment as well, partition heights, bringing that down, which is a movement on the well side um, and lead as well right. um, is allowing better light sharing between spaces and especially daylight uh, penetration into the space. So yeah, oh, right. Well, I think that that's kind of fascinating. And and for the listeners out there, if they need any more information on healthy lighting, we all know where to go to. <laughs> and Catherine, thank you so much for for being thank with you us for this afternoon. Me. This was lots of fun. Great, thank you. If you would like to contact Catherine or get any other information that, and resources that we have talked about today, please go to inclusivedesigners.com. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Catherine, for being here today. Thanks, Janet. We hope you enjoy our Inclusive Designers podcast and forum. 
For more information on our guests or on the design and research covered in this episode, please check out our webpage at inclusivedesigners.com. If you have any questions on today's topic or have suggestions for future topics you'd like us to include, please shoot us an email at info at inclusivedesigners.com. And we look forward to your feedback as well. Until our next podcast episode, stay well and stay well informed. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again. Thanks again.